Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. I have some things on my heart that I want to share. I've prayed and I felt like the Lord has given me something to share with you today. And so instead of Instead of just spending some time kind of uh, warming up or going through an introduction, I just want to get right into it. When I was a kid, uh, we had church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. Every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, and every Wednesday night. And it didn't matter if it was a holiday. I mean, the only people who didn't show up were the people who were either not serious about about their relationship with God in the eyes of, of many folks or, or people who were dead. And uh, so uh, that was just how it was. And I remember one of my frustrations uh, when, I was a, when I was a young boy, my wife and I have talked about it. It seemed like the shows that we wanted to see the most as kids would only come on on Sunday nights. And we tried everything we could to get our parents to, you know, we tried to you know, at times, you know, say we're sick, got a tummy ache, don't feel good, I should probably stay home. And no, we needed to come to church. And one of those programs that captured my attention for a while was a, a program that you're going to, you're probably going to think, you know, that's really silly. But I want to remind you, I'm, I'm older than a lot of you. And so when I was young, we didn't have Star Wars. We didn't have Return of the Jedi. We didn't have Iron Man. And I think he's pretty cool. But we didn't have any of that. And so there was, the, one of these shows was The Wizard of Oz. And, and people would talk about it, you know, and they would advertise and make it look so interesting. And then I'd hear the kids talking about it at school. And I can't, I can't describe to you the, the amount of disappointment that I had when I finally saw it for myself years later and saw that you know, Dorothy and her little, her posse finally got there and they pulled the curtain back and there's the Wizard of Oz. You, how many of you have seen the Wizard of Oz? You know, I mean, it's really, it's really a disappointment. There's this little midget and he's just, I mean, he's just not at all what you would think. And I am here to tell you today, I want you to listen to me carefully, Satan, the devil, Lucifer, the one who's called the accuser of the brethren, the one who's known as the deceiver, is the original Wizard of Oz. He manipulates, he tries to control, he tries to appear bigger and badder than than anything else. And the Bible says, your Bible says, in Isaiah chapter 14, that one day he will be cast into a pit and he will be there for all eternity. And all of the people who are in that pit, kings and emperors and people who had great authority and great, great power on earth will rise up and say to one another, is this the one who caused nations to tremble? Is this the one who caused uh, countries to shake? There's nothing to him. He's a peep squeak. And I today... Part of my goal is to pull back the curtain and allow you to see the truth. And I believe that there are people in this room today who need to know that the devil has been lying to you. And I know you're in church. I I know that you have a hunger for God. You wouldn't be here. And I know that you're reaching out in your relationship with God. But how many of you know just, just because you come to church doesn't mean the devil will leave you alone? 
And so the devil will do everything he can to discourage you, to dishearten you, to make you think there's no hope, to make you think that God, God not only doesn't love you, he really doesn't even like you all that much. And if he does forgive you, he does it reluctantly. And I want to tell you all those things are lies. They're absolute lies. And so I, wanna, I, I, I want to talk about something that's going to sound kind of deep and heavy, but I believe that this is where the Lord wants me to go today. How many of you have heard of the concept of the unpardonable sin? Anybody? You ever heard that phrase, the unpardonable sin? A sin that is so bad, that is so terrible, so horrible, there's no coming back. You finally cross the line and you cannot be forgiven. And I, I, I want to talk to you about that today. I want to talk about the unpardonable sin. And, and we want to ask some questions. Is it real? Is that really true? Is it, I mean, I've, I heard, I'm sure many of you are probably thinking right now, you know, well, I, I thought God would forgive everything. And, and, you know, now you're raising this question in church. And, but it seems to me that it would be important, important for us to know, is it true? Is there a sin that is so far across the line that it is actually unpardonable, unforgivable. The second question that that would raise in my mind, and I think all of us should ask is, if there is such a sin like that, what is it? What is it? And, and, and we're going to talk about that. And then the third question that we want to ask and we want to answer is, if there is such a sin, and if we know what it is, then how should I live my life from this point on? So I want to ask you just to bow your heads with me and allow me to pray right now. I'm going to pray for you and I want you to pray for me, okay? Heavenly Father, thank you for our time together here today. I pray that you would touch every heart in this room. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would give us ears to hear and a heart to receive your life-giving word. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for, for ministering to every person here. I pray, God that you would give revelation, that you would give us light, that you would give us understanding. And I pray that the, the lies of the enemy would be exposed. I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen your church, empower your people. And I give you thanks and praise for accomplishing an eternal work in hearts and lives here today. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. So if you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to turn to Mark chapter 3, and I want to use this as my jumping off point. Some of you may have analog Bibles that look like this, and you can open them up, or maybe you have a Bible that glows. And if you have one of those, that's cool too. Turn that Bible on, let it glow in your life, and let's go to Mark chapter 3, and, and we're going to take a look at a portion of Scripture. I want to begin in verse 20. Uh, then he went home, and the crowd uh, gathered again so that they could not even eat. This is speaking of Jesus. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him. So when Jesus' family heard about this, now Joseph has probably already died. And Jesus, at this point in time, even though we are at the beginning of the book of Mark, we're only in chapter 3, this actual occurrence is, is approximately in the middle of Jesus' ministry. It's in the middle of his three-year ministry. In Matthew chapter 13, it tells us that Jesus had four brothers, and so four, four half-brothers, and so the word here is referring to his earthly family when his family heard about it that he was at home, people are gathering all around. He, he's created quite a stir because he said things 
that have caused people to really think, you know, you're just off your rocker. Things like your sins are forgiven and things like that. And it's really upset a lot of religious people and a lot of people are talking. There's a lot of, a lot of interest and a lot of ridicule all at the same time. So his family uh, heard about it and they went out to seize him. For they were saying, he's out of his mind. He's, they're talking about Jesus. He's out of his mind. He's crazy. Look with me at verse 22. The scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying this. He, Jesus, is possessed by Beelzebul. Now, that's just another term for Satan. He's possessed by the devil. And by the prince of demons, he cast out demons. And he called them to him. And he said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? And if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Now pay attention here. Verse 28, 29. Truly, I say to you, Jesus is saying, in other words, hey, I'm not lying. I'm not lying. But truly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man And whatever blasphemies they utter. That sounds like good news, doesn't it? Come on, you're going to have to talk to me, folks. You're going to have to talk to me or I'll be here till 3 o'clock trying to get a response out of you. So if you want to get home for lunchtime, let's just let everybody wake up, jab your neighbor in the ribs and say, come on, he's talking to you. He says, truly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. In my Bible, there's not a period there. There's a comma. And the next verse says this, But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but he is guilty of an unclean... uh, He is guilty of an eternal sin, for they were saying he has an unclean spirit. Now, in my uh, my years of, of ministry... Uh, not only in pastoral ministry, but in ministry before uh, I pastored and even after I've talked to more people. I've lost count of how many people I have talked to who at one point or another in their life, the devil has come to them and accused them of committing the unpardonable sin. As a matter of fact, it's almost as though that's part of the ordinary modus operandi of the enemy against the people of God. That he comes, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I would bet that in this room there are people that the devil has accused you and said that that you've committed the unpardonable sin. You've sinned one time too many. You've done the wrong thing. You went too far. You crossed the line. There's no coming back. And and yet there's something in you. you you're, you're not absolutely, it's not totally settled in your heart, but you're trying your best to serve God and, and continue on. And yet there's this nagging, whispering lie that the enemy has put in your mind that you are too far gone, that you have done too bad, that you have crossed that line and committed the unpardonable sin. And I I, I really believe that Satan has accused almost every Christian of that. And he wants to bring discouragement. He wants to bring despair. He wants to bring, you know, questions, put questions in our mind about God and about his nature and his character and his grace. So here's the first question we want to ask. Is there really 
an unpardonable, unforgivable sin. And we just read it here in Mark 3, 29. Whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, never, never. Now, in the Greek, you know what that word never means? It means never. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a good thing, right? That we can trust the translation of the Word of God that we have. He who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, whoever, whoever does it, will never have forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. So let me, let me just talk to you for a minute about God's forgiveness. The best news in all the world, the best news you will have in all of your life is that God has forgiven you of your sins. That your sins are not just covered up where they can be pulled out again, but cleansed, washed away. They're gone. There's no stain. They are, you are free. God will never call them back and, and hold them against you that you are set free from your sins. Not just the ones you could remember to, to confess, but all of your sins. That from, from, from the beginning of your life until now. That when we come to God with a repentant heart, that God sees our heart and understands everything that we're saying and even the things that we can't articulate. And he washes and cleanses us of all of our sin and cleanses us from all of our iniquity. Come on, if that's good news to you, give God praise right now. Your sins will no longer be held against you. So if that's the best news that you could ever receive, then the worst news that you could ever have in all of your life is that you have in fact crossed that line, gone too far, done the wrong thing, said the wrong thing, gone to the wrong place, and you are in a place where God says, I will never, never forgive your sins. I will never forgive. Can you imagine? I mean, it's, it, it, it's a terrible thing to lose friends here on earth. It's a terrible thing when people say to you, I will never forgive you. I will never forgive you. But let's just be honest. Let's be honest. That's people. Okay? That's people. And if somebody says, I will never forgive you, you know, it causes a certain amount of pain, but there are more people in the world. You can make other friends. Life goes on. You can keep going. And, you know, so you, don't, you don't want those things to happen. Sometimes, sometimes they do, but, but life continues. Life goes on. But when God says never, when God says never, he really does mean never. And there is no one to turn to in all of the universe. And some people would say, well, you know, maybe that's just for this age. Maybe that's just for, for, you know, while we're here on earth, but in eternity, in eternity, you know, in, in the new age to come that, you know, God, God would forgive and people would find reconciliation and forgiveness with God. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say that at all. As a matter of fact, in a parallel passage in Matthew chapter 12, This is what the Word of God says. Jesus is speaking. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Listen to this. Either in this age or in the age to come. Back to Mark chapter 3 verse 29. He says he will be guilty of an eternal sin, an eternal sin. It means that God will not forgive that sin for all eternity. Now, you need to know something about the nature and the character of God. And the one thing I want to point out to you is that God is never indifferent about sin. Sin must be forgiven or sin will be judged. That's, those are the only two options. 
This is God's view of sin. He is never neutral about sin. It will either be forgiven or it will be judged and God will punish. In, in judgment, he will punish uh, guilty sin. So if sin is not forgiven, it will be punished. And I, I want you to know, ladies and gentlemen, this verse These words, in many of your Bibles, they're written in red, meaning these are the words that Jesus spoke. This is not some wild-eyed lunatic screaming at people on the street corner who hates people. This is Jesus, loving, kind, the one who offered himself as a sacrifice for you and me. He is sounding a warning. And he's lifting up his voice, and he is, he is, this is the one who loved us and gave himself for us. So the first question is this, is there such a thing as an unpardonable sin? And the answer is yes. Yes, there is. That's a real thing. And the Bible makes it very clear. So the, the second question is this, what is the unpardonable sin? I want to know what it is. Now, I want you to listen to me very carefully here because this is part of pulling back the, the curtains and, and exposing the lies of the, the enemy. There, there are a lot, people have a lot of different ideas about what the unpardonable sin is or what it might be. And so I just want to go through a few things. And I, I just want to throw these questions out. People may wonder and think, well, you know, is, is lying, is, is that the unpardonable sin? Because the Bible says, Revelation 22.8, all liars will have their part in the lake of fire. So is it lying? Is it cheating? Is it, is it beating people up? Is, that, is, that, is, is it just being a, a mean, nasty person in general? Is, is that the unpardonable sin? And I just want you to know that there were a group of people in the New Testament. The Bible talks about them as, as tax collectors and sinners. And it's interesting to me that it didn't just say sinners, but there's another category called tax collectors. Tax collectors were in a category all by themselves. They were in such ill repute. They were so despised, so looked down on. They were some wicked, nasty, mean, uh, selfish people. And, and they, because they just took it that far, they got their own category in the Bible as tax collectors. They were traitors to their own people. They were turncoats. They had betrayed the Jewish nation. They were Jews. But they had sold out to the Roman government and got a job collecting taxes from the Jewish people, and they were paid on commission. How many of you are glad that your IRS agent is not paid on commission? So you, you kind of see where this is going. You know, you, if he lives in your neighborhood, you, you want to be sure you don't throw trash in his yard. You want to you know, be as, on as good a terms as you possibly can because he has the power to decide what you owe in taxes. And everything that doesn't go to the Roman government, he's able to skim off the top and put in his own pocket because he needs a new boat. Okay? And so not only that... But there are two classes of tax collectors. There are those that are in authority, and then there are those that just kind of do a lot of the dirty work. And those in authority, if they taxed you and you didn't pay up on time and you were having problems, they would send these, these lower-level guys to uh, have a visit with you. And, and they would take you maybe out in the backyard or around the corner down the alley, and they would beat you up until you saw the reasonableness of paying whatever they said you owed. As a matter of fact, they were held in such ill repute that the, 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 the religious world 
the Jewish religious world said, these guys are not even allowed to come into the temple. Uh, everything that has to do with the religious culture, they are excluded from. So weddings, funerals, baby dedications, all that, they cannot, they cannot come into the temple at all. As a matter of fact, they were so despised and looked down on that even if they were to witness a crime, they were not allowed to testify in court. That's how unreliable and how despised they were. They were sidelined from, from, from the Jewish uh, community. And, you know, I just want to point out that Matthew, who wrote the Gospel of Matthew, had been a tax collector. And I just want to point out that Zacchaeus, you remember, we little Zacchaeus climbed up in the tree. He was also a tax collector. And there was enough grace for them. People who were mean and nasty and beat people up and cheated and lied and stole and just were, just were generally despised by everybody. You know, even bad people despised them. They had their own category. There was enough grace for people like that to repent and come to Jesus and become a part of the family of God and have a brand new future, have a future and a hope and their past forgiven and their sins put under the blood. How many of you are thankful that we serve that kind of God? So lying, cheating, stealing, you know, that's obviously not the unpardonable sin because some of those guys were not just, not just forgiven. Matthew was one of Jesus's disciples. Okay, so let's, let's kick it up a notch. How about, how about sexual immorality? Okay, that's, that's a big one. That's a big one, sexual immorality. Sex with somebody you're not married to either before or after you're married. Uh, you know, is that, is that the unpardonable sin? Obviously, obviously that type of sin can, can bring havoc into families. It can, destroy, uh, it can destroy marriages. It can wreck families. And, and, you know, sometimes the devil will come to people who've stumbled and fallen and, 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 you know, been in a situation like that. And the devil will just tell you, that's it. You've gone too far. God cannot forgive you. But, you know, in Luke chapter 7, there is a story about Jesus coming to a Pharisee's house. The Pharisee's name was Simon. And it says that as soon as he came in, there was a woman who, who walked in the door after him. It, it's interesting to me when you look at that story. She, she just walked in. It, it doesn't even seem as though she was invited. She, it was almost like she felt comfortable enough because maybe she'd been there before. I don't know. But she just walked in and she just got really, really close to Jesus. And the Bible says that she was a woman. Depending on which translation you read, some will identify her as a prostitute. Some will say different things about her. Said she, one version says that she is a woman who was an especially wicked sinner. An especially wicked sinner. She came in and she began to weep and cry at the feet of Jesus. And she took her hair, which is symbolic of, of her glory, and dried the tears on Jesus' feet. And all of the Pharisees who were there and the religious people, including Simon, the host, were thinking in their heart, this man, Jesus, cannot be a prophet because if he was really a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is and he would tell her, don't touch me. Don't touch me. And when Jesus knew what they were thinking in their hearts, Jesus said, Simon, I want to ask you something. He said, there were two men who owed debts. And one owed $50 and one owed $500 and they owed their money to the same person. And the person they owed it to said, hey, you know what? I just feel really benevolent today. I'm going to forgive you guys of your debt. 
He forgave the one who owed $50 of his debt, forgave the one who owed $500 of his debt. And Jesus asked this question. He, he said, Simon, who, who loved that man the most? Simon thought about it a minute. He said, well, I suppose the one who was forgiven the greater debt. And Jesus said, Simon, you know, when I walked into your house, he said, you didn't greet me with a kiss. But this woman, from the moment I walked in, began to kiss my feet, and she hadn't stopped. You didn't give me any water to wash the dust off of my feet. But since I came in, she has been washing my feet with her tears and drying them with her hair. You didn't give me any oil to anoint my head, any olive oil. But she has anointed me with this perfume, this costly perfume from this alabaster box that she has broken. And you can read it for yourself in Luke chapter 7. Jesus said this, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven her. Have been forgiven her. This was, this was a woman who was, who was not unfamiliar with an immoral lifestyle. In John chapter 8, we read about another time when Jesus is teaching, he's speaking, and there's a little bit of a commotion, and here come a group of Pharisees, and they're dragging along this woman who's trying her best to cover up with a sheet or blanket or whatever, because she has been caught in the very act of adultery. And I, I've often wondered why she was the only one they thought they needed to bring out and and, uh, and you know attempt to take her life or judge her. I, I've often wondered where the guy was. But they, they bring her, they drag her up to Jesus and they say, Jesus, the law says, Moses says, that this woman, she was caught in the very act of adultery, that she should be stoned. What do you say? You know the story, Jesus. Jesus said, well, you know, let him who's without sin cast the first stone. And then he got down and he began to write with his finger in the dust, in the sand. And people have speculated and wondered, you know, what it was he wrote. And I don't know. I don't guess we'll ever really know till we get to heaven. But I don't think it's unreasonable to think that maybe he was writing the names of their girlfriends. And one by one, beginning with the oldest down to the youngest, one by one, they all walk away. Jesus stands up and looks at this woman who was drugged before him, caught in the very act of adultery. And he says, woman, where are your accusers? And she says, Lord, they're, they're gone. They're all gone. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. He wasn't easy on the sin. He didn't, he didn't say, it doesn't matter. He said, I don't condemn you. Now, now change the way you live. Go and sin no more. So for everyone that the enemies whispered in your ear and said, you've gone too far, you've done a horrible thing, a bad thing, it's the unpardonable sin, God can't love you, Jesus can't forgive you, I want you to know we see right here in the word of God, there's grace for that woman in Luke chapter 7, there's grace for the woman there in, in John chapter 8, there's grace for men who have blown it for, for, I mean, I'm telling you, I am thankful for the grace of God. Can I get an amen in this place? I'm thankful for the grace of God. How about, how about being a traitor? How about someone, someone who just, they, they betray you? 
I, you know, there, I don't know that there's anything that hurts any worse than that, than having someone who just turns their back and they, they were a friend, they were loyal and they just turn around and they betray you. And you know what we see in the life of Jesus, that there was one, he was part of the inner circle. He was, he was not just part of the 12. He was part of the three. He was, he was with Jesus when he went up on the Mount of Transfiguration. He was the one who went further than all of the others when Jesus prayed right at the end of his ministry in the, in the uh, Garden of, of, of Olives. And he, he went there, the Garden of Gethsemane, and he began to pray. He was the one, uh, you know, w- when Jesus was the one who was known as the friend of sinners. And when he needed a friend, there wasn't anybody to stand up with him. There wasn't anyone to, to be loyal to him. And as a matter of fact, Jesus had even warned him. He had warned him. He says, you, you're going to deny me. And he said, not only are you going to deny and not just once and not just twice, but three times you're going to deny me. And he just swore it'll never happen. It'll never happen. I'll die first. It'll never happen. And you know the story how Peter did more than just deny. He cursed. He cursed and said, I don't know the man. I don't know the man. I don't know the man. And you remember how that all ended up. Peter was so broken, so ashamed, so filled with guilt and remorse. After Jesus had been crucified, Peter threw up his hands. He said, this is it. I thought it was going to be one way. It wasn't this way. I'm going back to the business. And he went fishing again. You remember what Jesus said after his his resurrection? The women were there at the tomb. And he said, I want you to go to my, my brothers. And I want you to tell them I'm going to be in Galilee. I want them to meet me there. I want you to tell them to go and meet me there. And be sure you tell Peter. Be sure. And he mentioned, he singles out, but be sure you tell Peter. How do you think Peter felt when the women related that story? Jesus is alive. He's alive. He's risen from the dead and he's coming to Galilee. He wants all of you guys to go. And Peter, he especially wants to see you. How do you think Peter felt? And you know the story. They're fishing. They're in the boat. They're in the location. The geography is right. And there's, there's one on the, on the shore, and he's around a little campfire, and he tells them, have you caught any fish? And they say, no, no, we've been working all night. He said, well, just try throwing on the other side of the boat. And somebody says, ha, but we've done everything else. They throw on the other side. They have so many fish. They can't get it all in the boat. And Peter says, it's the Lord. And he jumps in the water and swims to shore. And instead of a rebuke, instead of condemnation, instead of punishment, instead of, you better keep your distance from me, buddy, because I'll never trust you again. Instead of that, Jesus restores him. Jesus gives him a ministry. Jesus calls him to be faithful and to follow him. Jesus tells him, he gives him a ministry. He says, feed my lambs. This is my call on your life. He restores him to a place. So I want you to know, ladies and gentlemen, even even being a traitor, there's grace. There's grace. Even, Even for people who have failed the Lord, there is a place of restoration, a place of coming back where our sins are forgiven and we are cleansed and we are washed and we can, our relationship with God can be restored. There's another question. How about murder, Pastor Paul? What if someone has has murdered? And I've I've ministered to people who have 
have murdered people. Sometimes it was inadvertently, sometimes it was on purpose. And my heart breaks for a multitude of our population who are carrying around a load of guilt and shame. And sometimes nobody else knows, but they're carrying around a load of guilt and shame because at a difficult time in their life, they made their way to an abortion clinic. And that weight and that burden and that guilt has been on them. And the devil has accused you and said, that's it. That's it. You've gone too far. You can never come back from that. You can never, ever come back from that. But you know what I read in my Bible? I read that, that one of the chief apostles, the apostle Paul, that he was responsible for voting for the death penalty for Christians who had been arrested, drug out of their houses, sometimes in the middle of the night. And when there was a question, what do we do with them? Should we just put them in jail, leave them there, you know, for uh, however long? Or should we, should we murder them? Should we execute them? And Paul was the one who would raise his hands and say, I vote that we execute them. And he carried that. He carried that weight, that guilt. Can you imagine what it must have been like for him as after he was redeemed and he goes around to all these different churches and, and the likelihood is very real when he was going to existing churches that there were, there were maybe family members who were there who, who had suffered, suffered because of some of his pre-conversion decisions. And yet there was grace for Paul for Saul of Tarsus, he was transformed from a persecutor to a preacher. God gave him a ministry, and he spent his life sharing the, the, the good news of Jesus Christ to people all around him. You know, not only him, but David, King David. We, here's a man who combined a couple of them together. He not only committed adultery, he murdered the husband. And yet... He found grace and he found forgiveness. And if you want to read about it, just look at Psalm 51. That entire psalm is David's cry of repentance to God for his, that terrible, terrible sin in his life. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, when, you know, we're talking, we're talking about murder. Let me, let me just take it as far as I possibly can. In Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 36, Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost. And Peter says this in his sermon as he's preaching to thousands of people there on the day of Pentecost. He says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him. He's speaking about the Lord Jesus. God has made the Lord Jesus, made him Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. He's talking to the crowd that stood there and said, crucify him. Give us Barabbas. Let his blood be on us and on our children. And now all of that mob mentality is gone. Now, you know, it's a new day. A little time has passed. And it's the day of Pentecost. And these people are out there. And Peter, as he's preaching, he says, you know what? He said, you guys were the ones who were responsible for crucifying the Lord of life. You murdered the Lord of life. You are the ones who cast the vote. You lifted up your voice. Give us Barabbas. You lifted up your voice. And you know, look what it says here in verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And, and, and they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? 
And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Can I just tell you, even the people that Peter said, you are the ones responsible for the crucifixion, the murder of Jesus Christ, there was even grace for them. And they were told, if you come and repent of your sins, God will forgive you, God will cleanse you, and you can be a part of the family of God. Uh, Somebody ought to just know that that is the best news you've ever heard in your whole life. So if if all of these sins can be forgiven, and Jesus was rebuking the Pharisees, as a matter of fact, all these sins that I just mentioned, the Pharisees, the Pharisees were not being accused of any of those sins. But if you'll, if you'll just look with me back at Mark chapter 3, verse 29, whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, that's what Jesus said. Whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. So here is, what is the unpardonable sin? Here it is. The unpardonable sin is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And I know some of you are getting your little glowing Bible and you're, you're, you're moving it over to the side and you're calling up Google and you're trying to say, how do you spell blasphemy? How is that? That's a big word. That's a hard word. What does that mean? Let me tell you what blasphemy means. Blasphemy is, is one word, and it just means to speak against. That's what it means, to speak against. It is, and what Jesus is talking about here, they are blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Uh, verse 22 in Mark 3, the scribes came down from Jerusalem. They were saying, they're speaking to, to, about Jesus. He is possessed by the devil, by Satan himself, and by the prince of demons, he casts out demons. They're saying he, Jesus, has an unclean spirit. Now, Jesus had just said that all sins would be forgiven. But let me just tell you something about, about the forgiveness of sins. Sins are not forgiven automatically. They don't just, we don't just automatically receive forgiveness. We, we receive forgiveness when we repent of our sins. And repentance is more than just being sorry. Repentance means I'm sorry enough I'm not going to do it anymore. Okay? That's what repentance is. Repentance is I'm sorry enough I'm not going to do this anymore. And repentance is such a central theme that when John the Baptist began his ministry, that's the first thing you read John the Baptist preaching. He preached repentance. You need to turn from your wicked ways. When Jesus began his public ministry, it was the first thing Jesus began to preach. He called men to repent and turn from their sin. When Jesus sent the, 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 the disciples out to preach the gospel, to preach the good news, the, they went out and proclaimed the good news of Jesus Christ and that people should repent. And the first sermon that was preached on the day of Pentecost by Peter, we just read it, he preached about repentance. Repent. Be sorry enough that you're not going to go back and, and just live in that, in that lifestyle again. Turn away from that behavior. Turn away from that lifestyle. And Jesus says all sins will be forgiven, but not this one. Not blasphemy against 
the Holy Spirit. Folks, I just want to tell you, I want to confess to you that in the church today, in, the, in a 21st century American Christianity, we have so emphasized the grace of God, the mercy of God, the love of God, and God's long-suffering that I think sometimes people think, okay, sin is bad. I know I get it. Sin is bad, but I really want to do it. And God says that if I'll repent, that he'll forgive me. So I can have my cake and eat it too. I'm just going to go ahead and sin. Then I'll ask God for forgiveness. And he has to forgive me because it's what it says in his word. And that's what I, that's what I will do. I'll, I'll, I've, I've got a, uh, I'm home free. And I want you to know that many people don't realize the seriousness of sin. They do not realize the consequences of sin. And I want to explain this to you for a minute. Please listen carefully. I'm not talking about disease as a consequence of sin. And we know that there are some sins that can put you in a place where you may catch some diseases. I'm not talking about addiction. And we know there are some sins, if you commit them, you open up a door to be bound by, by the powers, by the chains of addiction. I'm not talking about being thrown in jail as a consequence. I'm not talking about losing your job. I'm not talking about losing your marriage or any of those things. But I want you to listen to me carefully. The consequence that I'm talking about that many people are not even aware of is this, that unrepented, obstinate, Sin, willful sin, continually committed, has an effect on my heart. It hardens my heart little by little. It hardens my heart. And as my heart gets harder, I may hear myself say things like this. I don't see what's so wrong with that. You know what that is? Spiritual blindness, like glaucoma, just slowly closing in. You begin to lose your peripheral vision. I, I, don't, I don't see anything wrong with that. Or I don't feel anything wrong with that. Losing sensitivity, your heart getting harder and harder. Now, you see guys up here every, every weekend who are playing the bass or they're playing guitar. And, and I'll tell you, if you get close enough to them, here's one right here. Steve, on, on his left hand, his fingers are tough. There was a time when he had calluses. I don't know if those calluses are still there or not. But his fingertips are tough because he's been pressing pressing on those guitar strings and he pushes on them and he bends them. And at first it hurts. It hurts like crazy when you're first learning how to play guitar. But after a while, it toughens up in your fingers. That skin gets thick and it gets tough. And the Bible says that happens to our hearts. We get to a place where we're not feeling. And sometimes people think, well, you know, you know, you, I, I hear people talk about the judgment and you know, I, I, I might not be doing everything just right, but when you talk about the judgment of God and, you know, all these kinds of things, I, you know, I, we're, we're doing okay. You know, I got a good job. I'm making plenty of money and we haven't had any car wrecks and nobody in the family has cancer and you know, no lightning bolts have come out of heaven. I, I don't understand what you're talking about, this judgment of God. And, and I want to tell you, a lot of people don't understand how the judgment of God works. And, and there are times when there are big demonstrations of God's judgment, but most of the time, the judgment of God, is, it, it works out like this. We find it in Romans chapter 1. And I, I, I encourage you to take a few minutes this afternoon and read through Romans chapter 1. And I, this is a portion of Scripture that describes where our nation is today. It describes all kinds of ungodly, immoral behavior, and it describes the judgment of God upon that behavior. And, and this is why I just want to pick out four verses here, three verses. And, and this is what the Word of God says in Romans 1, verse 24. They're doing all kinds of terrible things. They're, they're breaking all the moral laws of God. And it says, so God, God didn't send a lightning bolt. God didn't send cancer to him. 
It says, so God abandoned them. God abandoned them and let them do what they wanted to do. In two verses later, in Romans 1 verse 26, it says that is why God abandoned them. There's more shameful behavior, more perversion. And it says God just backed away. He just abandoned them. Then in two more verses later, Romans 1 28, they thought it was foolish to acknowledge God, but he abandoned them. God says, you know, you just want to go your own way. In the Psalms, it says that the people pestered God. The, the Israelites pestered God. They wanted meat. They wanted meat. They wanted meat. So God gave them meat, but sent leanness to their soul. One of the saddest verses in all of the Bible is when a man that God used in such a mighty way, Samson, started on a path. There was a trend of disobedience. He knew what he should do. He knew what he should not do. And he stepped, he stepped across a line and he went here and, and you know, it didn't, the whole world didn't fall apart and he could, he was still strong. He could still do. And so he went a little further and then he went a little further and the whole time, you know, there's no judgment, there's no lightning bolt and there's no, no terrible disaster. And he goes a little further. And then, and then finally he reaches a place where he tells Delilah everything that he should not have told her. She says, Samson, the, the Philistines are here. And he got up and the Bible says he didn't even know that the spirit of the Lord had departed from him. The judgment of God might not be a lightning bolt. It might not be the earth opening up and swallowing you down into it. It might be that God just backs away, that our hearts get a little harder, that our, our eyes grow a little more dim. And God just begins to back away he backs away. Now, I want you to listen to me very carefully. I do not believe that there is evidence that you can commit the unpardonable sin accidentally. There are a lot of people who, oh, I didn't mean to, I, I'm so sorry, I didn't, you know, I didn't know. I didn't. Listen to me. I don't think that you can commit the unpardonable sin accidentally. What is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? I want you to listen carefully. It is the final and complete rejection of Jesus Christ. It is a denial of the Holy Spirit's revelation of the, of the deity of Jesus. Lying, cheating, adultery, murder, and all other sins can be forgiven. They are not unpardonable, but God cannot forgive the rejection of his Son. The rejection of his son. And that's what those Pharisees were doing there in Mark chapter 3. Saying Jesus, he's, he's operating by demonic power. He's full of the devil. The vile things that he spoke about him. Accusing him of that. And in the same way that when you are sick to your stomach. And you may, you may throw up. It, it's, the Bible says that out of the fullness of our heart. The mouth speaks. What was coming out of the mouth of those Pharisees, that Jesus is vile, that he's operating by the power of Satan, that he has a demonic spirit, it was the vomit of, of what was in their heart coming out of their mouth. So, here's, here's the third question. I want to wrap it up with this. If, is there an unpardonable sin? Yes. What is it? It's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. It is the final and complete rejection of God's Son. That's what it is. The final and complete rejection of God's Son. So, knowing that, how should we live? How should we behave? How should we conduct ourselves? The fact that there is such a thing as the unpardonable sin is a very, very serious thing. And what it should do is this. It should drive us away from all sin and cause us to walk before God, not 
not in, in fear, uh, like I'm terrified or afraid in a bad sense, but that I should walk before God with great care, that I should walk before God with, uh, you know, Paul said it like this. He said to the Philippian church, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Don't treat God lightly. But work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And again, I think very few people realize how serious sin is. I want to read to you some of the words of Jesus. And once again, I want to emphasize, this is not the ranting of some lunatic standing on a street corner who hates people. This is the voice of the Savior who loves us and who died for us. And this is what he says. If your hand offends you, Cut it off. If it causes you to sin, cut it off. Pastor Paul, that sounds kind of extreme. This is a serious issue. This is a serious issue. It's better for you to enter life crippled than, than with two hands to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. In verse 45, if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame with two feet than to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. I don't know how you do that. Do you use a spoon? I don't even want to think about it. This is the seriousness of the Savior who loves you. This is the seriousness of, of, of the consequences of sin. He says, if your eye causes you sin, tear it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell. Can I just update this a little bit? If your computer is causing you to sin, smash it. Well, you don't know how much I paid for that thing. I don't care. It doesn't matter how much you paid for that thing. If it's going to cause you to end up separated from God, then you need to take that thing and not only smash it, you need to burn it, stomp on it, turn it into ashes, and scatter them in the wind. Okay, well, I'm feeling a little love, so I'm going to go a little farther. If your boyfriend or your girlfriend is causing you to sin, you need to break up with them right now. As a matter of fact, get out your phone. Do it right now. Get out your phone and send them a text right now. It's that serious. Don't wait. Don't wait. Do it right now while the Holy Spirit's prompting your heart. Send them a text. Say, it's over. We're through. Don't call back. I'm leaving you. It sounds like a song, doesn't it? We could just turn that into a song. Leave them right now. It's that serious. It's that serious. It's that critical. Now, you've heard the warning. You've heard the warning. So now I want to give you the offer of God's grace. And here is the offer of God's grace. Verse 28, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the children of men. And whatever blasphemies they utter, all sins will be forgiven them. Jesus said this. He said, you must be born again. He didn't say it's a good idea for you to be born again. He didn't say if you got time, you get around to it, you, you should maybe think about you know, being born. No, he said, you must, you must be born again. Let me ask it like this. You know, I, I have asked people before, I've, uh, I've asked people, are you, ha, have you been born again? And sometimes people are very sure, yes, I was born again, man, I'm, God changed my life. Sometimes I would ask that question to people who've been around church and they would say something like this. Well, you know, I, th I think I was, I, I'm, I'm not really sure. I, but you know, I, I probably, I, 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 I really don't know. Let me, let me explain it to you like this. When, when Miss Lynn and I got married, 
I brought her from Minnesota to New Iberia. I brought her to the little apartment that I had and she came in and when, when I carried her th across that threshold, she wasn't just coming as a visitor. She was coming as my wife. She was coming as an equal partner of everything that I had. And you know what? She came in and she looked around and she said, that, that couch shouldn't be over there. It should be over here. She started moving furniture around. She started taking things off the wall. Some of them she threw away and she replaced them with other things. And, and she even got in the fridge and she started messing with the fridge and moving some things out and putting some new things in. And she moved in and took over. And there is no way on God's green earth that I could have lived in that house and not known that somebody else was living there with me and that they were in charge of all of those things. Is it possible that Jesus could move into your heart and be in control and you not know it? Is it possible that he could come in and begin rearranging the furniture and changing the pictures on the wall and going through your closet and looking at what you've been wearing and, you know, say, oh, you don't need that anymore and throwing things out and, and getting in the fridge, you know, going through the cabinets and, and digging around in the garage. I mean, he, he, he looks in every closet. He even goes up in the attic. You can't hide anything from him. And he just goes through it. Is there any way that the Lord of life, the Savior, could come into your life and be in control and just begin to rearrange and move things around and make everything better than you ever imagined it could be and you not even be aware, you not know it? No, no, no. So what I want to do as we close today, I want to be sure that everybody who's here has an opportunity to say, Jesus, I want you to move into my heart. And I want you to take control of my life. And that happens very simply by coming to God in prayer, by admitting that I'm a sinner. We've got to be truthful to God. We can't, we can't just keep saying, well, you know, I'm not really all that bad. I mean, you know, there are other people worse than me. And Jesus said he didn't come for people who had it all together, for people who thought they weren't all that bad. He came for people who were sick and they were willing to admit, I'm sick. I need a doctor. I need help. And so we, we start off by admitting, I'm a sinner. I've got to be honest with God. I've got to come to God and say, God, I just got to be honest with you. I, I've been going places I shouldn't be going. I've been saying things I shouldn't be saying. I've been doing things I ought not to be doing. Please forgive me. I'm a sinner. I need you to move into my life and take control. The second thing is this. I have to believe. I have to believe that Jesus died on the cross for me. That he took the punishment, the penalty for my sin. That he was beaten so I wouldn't have to be beaten. That he was crucified so I wouldn't have to be crucified. He took my place. He took your place. And I have to believe that he went to the cross for, for me and that he died on that cross. And that God literally raised him from the dead. That his sacrifice was accepted. And then see, I confess. That means I say out loud, Lord, you're in charge. You're in charge. You're in charge of my life. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to be living for myself anymore. I'm going to live for you. We turn away from our sin. We repent. And he promises to give us a brand new start. And if you're here today and you've never been born again, you're not sure. I want to be sure that you know 
that, that this is an opportunity for you to make that choice and make that decision. Nobody's going to manipulate you. Nobody's going to try to force anything on you. It's a free decision that you have to make all on your, as a matter of fact, it's so personal. It's kind of like this. If you're thirsty and I take a drink of water, it doesn't do anything for you. And we're going to pray and I'm going to pray for you, but you got to pray. You understand? I, I can pray for you, but I can't pray for you. You know what I mean? No more than I can drink for you. You have to pray. It's got to come from your heart. And some people are, some people are a little intimidated by that. And so what I want to do is I want to give you some words that you can borrow. And I'm going to pray and I want to lead you in prayer. And you can borrow these words. The only thing is that they need to be, they, they need to come from your heart. You need to really mean them. Now I know that, that we go through different, different patterns, you know, as we close the service. And I want to give, give an opportunity for people to make that choice, that decision for the first time if they've never made it. Or to be sure, to be sure, if you're not really sure. And many times we'll, we'll ask people to close their eyes and bow their heads. But I'm not going to do that today. I want everybody to look right at me. And I want to pray for you, but I want to know who I'm praying for. I want to know who I'm praying for. And I want to tell you, it'll never be easier to live for God or to identify yourself as I want you. It'll never be easier in your whole life than it is right now. Right now in this church. Right now at the end of this message. And this is not just a, a church relationship we're going to have with Jesus. This is a 24-7 relationship we're going to have with him all the time. If you're here and you'd say, Pastor Paul, I want to, I want to invite Jesus to move into my heart. I want him to be in control. Would you raise your hand? And I'm not going to ask you to do anything else, but just raise your hand. If you want me to pray with you, you want to be included in this prayer, raise your hand real high. Lift it up. Come on. Come on. Right back here. There's, there's one. There's some more. There's some more. There's some more right back there. Come on. You'll remember this moment 10,000 years from now. You'll remember this moment. And, and, and I, my, my prayer up here in the balcony, there's some. Back, back up here, there's more. Okay? Anybody else? Anybody else? Okay, there's some more right back there. Come on, here's your opportunity. Here's your opportunity. Your opportunity. Okay, here's what I want to do. I want to lead you in prayer. And I, just because it's a sign of reverence, now I want to ask you to close your eyes. And I want to ask everyone in this room, those of you who raised your hands and you may be praying this for the first time, or those of you who've prayed this prayer and you're just repeating it as you remember the first time you gave your heart to the Lord, I want you to say this out loud and pray, pray this prayer with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you went to the cross for me. You died for my sin, my guilt, and my shame. I believe you faced hell for me so I wouldn't have to go. You rose again from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with the Father. 
and I turn away from my sin to follow you. Lord, right now, I forgive every person who's ever hurt me or wronged me in any way. I give them a gift they do not deserve. Just as you have given me a gift that I do not deserve. Your mercy and your love. Lord, from this moment on, God, you're my Father. Jesus, you're my Savior. Holy Spirit, you're my Helper. And heaven is now my home. I thank you for hearing my prayer. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Come on, church. Come on. Come on. Let's give God thanks. Let's give God praise. Lord, you're so good. You're so good. You're so good. Thank you, Jesus.